morning. Um, I didn't introduce myself last time, but my name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are excited that you're with us. We are continuing on um, in our series, The Church Cruise Ship or Battleship, and we have two weeks left. Now, uh, parents, those of you that just dedicated your children, we forgot to give you a devotional over here. It's a nice family devotional and some certificates, so don't leave without that. Um, let me pray one more time as we transition. Lord Jesus Christ, we love you. Father, you are a good, good father as we just prayed. It's who you are. And we are your children. We belong to you. And if we by faith have accepted you as Lord, we are part of your family and that's the end of it. That now we just carry out a family relationship until we're with you forever and, and we... Uh, we can't wait for you to come back. Come back soon and set up your perfect rule. But until then, we're going to be about your business. So Holy Spirit, please live in and through us, doing what only you can do. Restore us to you. Reconcile those things that need to be reconciled. I pray that relationships would be reconciled. Marriages would be reconciled. God, that we would be a, a room, a, a body full of people healthy and spreading that on. Use us to do great things, and I pray for every church in the valley right now. Many are having services, many are going to, many already did. But Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be present there also. That you would grow more and more believers, more and more faithful followers of you, and that you would send them into the harvest. You asked us to pray. You tell us to pray for workers to go in the harvest. And so I, I pray for that. Please send more and more workers into the harvest from every Bible-believing church in town. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what if, uh, what if you grew up in a country where everywhere you went, from the day you were born, all you saw was people driving their cars backwards? Now, there's no country that actually exists, but what if from the day you first noticed cars, people would go out, you'd get in, you're going to church as a family, and you get in the car, and everybody buckles up, and then they do this. Turn around backwards and go in reverse all the way to church. You park, come back, reverse. That's all anybody ever did was reverse. That would be all you knew. Chiropractors' offices would be full. Everybody would have a crick in their neck. Um, the sound as you walk down the street would be this high whine of people going as fast as they can in reverse, only 20 miles an hour or so. But would you think that was wrong? No, that, that would just kind of be, this is just what we do. We drive backwards. Now, imagine someday somebody figures out there's this D. And now I get to go forward and you can go 70, 80, 120 miles an hour depending on your car. You have no crick in your neck. You can actually see better to avoid obstacles. What if? You know, your cars would last longer because they were running as they were intended to do. I'm going to contend that the American church has been driving in reverse for decades. The American church in general has been driving in reverse for decades. And the proof of it is that we are the only continent, North America is the only continent where the church is not growing. The only continent. Every de denomination really is, is experiencing shrinking. Churches that grow, grow 96% through transfer growth, which means somebody from this church goes, ah, I'm not happy anymore, I'm going to go to this one. I'm not happy anymore, I'm going to go to this one. So the churches that grow, 96% are through transfer growth. 95%, now if these stats are right, I, I'm not sure they're exactly right, 95% of evangelism takes place in church plants. That is churches that are up to about six to 10 years old. After that, they get inward focused and no longer do evangelism. That's what the stats show. What's the problem? 
driving in reverse. And I'm going to contend, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, so feel free to turn there, that the problem is a few people hogging all the fun. That's the problem. That God set out a blueprint for how the church is to operate, and we haven't followed, in general, we have not followed the blueprint. And so that's why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. That's why church is boring. Because it's a spectator sport. That's why we're not seeing more people come to him and grow in him because leaders in general aren't sharing the fun. We have this situation where leaders do most of the stuff and everybody else watches. Last week, I, last week was awesome. Um, I'm not sure how much is on the podcast. I didn't check, but last week was awesome. We had three baptisms, two before and one at the end because she just had to, Aaron, <laughs> which was awesome. But I love that, that, that the spirit was working. But last week we talked about worship how we worship. And if you weren't here, listen to the podcast, but we gave you permission to worship how you want. We gave you permission to worship like this. We gave you permission to worship like this. We gave you permission to get on your knees looking at what the scripture says about worship. We're free to worship. Everybody is part of it. Uh, About a year ago, I was in Colorado so the church that I grew up in was there, and I was at my parents' house, and, and we were doing kind of this cool thing. And the pastor of the church I grew up in, he came long after I left, so I don't know him all that well. Um, but we were sitting and talking, and, and he uh, very bluntly said, so when you guys started Common Ground out there in, in Nevada, why didn't you ask us for help? Um. And his, his point, he was very kind, but his point was, you didn't ask us for help. We missed out on the opportunity to be part of what God was doing. He said, we missed out. And we would miss out too if somebody wants to help and we don't let them. But he said, we missed out on an opportunity to be part of what God is doing. That church desires to be a sending church, a church planting church, a church that is getting beyond itself and and going and seeing the kingdom. I mean, our mission is to expand the kingdom of God and our lives in the world around us. They want to do the same thing. And so partnering with us would have enabled them to help what they want to do and help grow their people. He said, we missed out because you didn't ask us for help. So what he was saying is, Derek, you were hogging all the fun and we missed out. And I think often we do the same in the church and we do it often from the right heart. We do it from the heart of, I want to serve others, which is the right heart. But instead we deprive others of the blessing of serving, of the blessing of doing what God has called us to do. So I hope you're in Ephesians. We're continuing this series, but here's what we've seen so far. We've seen so far what a healthy church is supposed to be. And we saw this from Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3.10 specifically, where he talks about the healthy church reveals God's character to the world. And so we said this, this is a quote from Mark Dever. He says, a healthy church is a congregation that increasingly reflects God's character as his character has been revealed in his word. Notice it's a congregation. So church is not a building. It's not a place. It's a group of people that is increasingly not perfect, Raise your hand if you're perfect. Good. (laughs) Not not perfect, but increasingly revealing God's character to the world. So that's the first thing. We want to look like Jesus, basically. We want to look more and more like Jesus. But then we we the next week we looked, we have a very specific mission. And it's not optional. Like a battleship sent to the South China Sea. Hey, stop North Korea or whatever, you know, here's the mission. They don't get to choose to go to Tahiti. I'm not sure if Tahiti is close, but they don't get to choose. We as a church are the same. We don't get to choose our mission. We can't go, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And our mission is to make disciples. Disciple means Jesus follower. And we saw in Ephesians 28 that he said, make disciples, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. 
So it's, it's a, a doing thing. It's a learning how to walk in the spirit, how to follow Jesus, how to abide in him. That's our mission to go get them, bring them in, help train them up, send them out. That's the mission of the church. And we don't get to choose not to be part of it. Well, we do get to choose, but if we do, we're going to see today that's not God's plan. So we have a life or death mission to make disciples. And now we're going to look at Ephesians chapter four. And I want to warn you before we go through this, there's probably going to be times where you're going to, I'm going to leave you wanting, which is great. So go study it. But I want to get an overview. We're going to fly over the forest and get an overview picture of what Paul is trying to convey in this passage. A lot of times we grab a couple verses and we just narrow in and we miss the big picture. I think both are valuable. You get the big picture, then you get to narrow in. This week, fly over big picture. Next week, we're going to go on a hike through the forest and check out the trees. Um, so if I leave you wanting, that's on purpose. Deal with it um, and, and go research. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, uh, page number 1080, if you're using one of the Bibles in front of you. Um, and we ordered more Bibles, they'll be coming, but th there's enough scattered around. So if you need a Bible, grab one or use your mobile device. Um, good job, Lydia. Page 1080. We're going to look at the word. And here, this is following up what we just saw in Ephesians 3, where he said the church is called to reveal God's character to the world. We saw in Ephesians 2, going back a little further, that we are saved by grace through faith. So Paul has been building a case so far in Ephesians that we're saved by grace through faith. All Jesus' work, not by our work at all, so we can't boast. We're saved, then we're brought into the church that's one of his main themes in Ephesians. He says, I take Jews and Gentiles, all these different kinds of people, one church brought in. Now we're going to get the details. So if you've been listening so far and you've gone, okay, all oh, this is great, but let's get some details on this blueprint. How do, we, how do we have a healthy church? How can we be a battleship, not a cruise ship? Ephesians 4. Starting in verses 1 through 6, Paul writes this. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He's setting up the theme that he's going to carry out throughout. What, what is he saying? Look at the words you see repeated. One, one, all. You see these things repeated. What he's talking about, he's setting this up because of what Jesus has done for you, because you're now part of the church. Now you have a mission to go and you're doing it together. This is all with the mindset of a church being a battleship, going on mission together. Guess what happens when you start working closely with other people? Well, you rub each other the wrong way sometimes. <laughs> sometimes it gets difficult. Sometimes we let each other down. And so he starts with this focus on unity. Unity. We, we have one hope, one faith. There's only one Lord. There's only one Father. There's only one Spirit. And it's the same one that binds us all together to go in his direction. These, uh, these words, you, that you see so far, very literally, it's y'all. Paul was Southern. He was from Texas or something. But he's saying, y'all. That's what he means. This isn't an individual you. This is y'all. Y'all maintain the unity. There's one Lord, one God. Y'all have the same mission. 
but we're going to see you have different parts in that mission. And so we're going to go together. Um, I want to point this out. We've been talking about this, about the church. We said the church is a people, not a place. And the church is made up of every single individual who is by faith chosen to follow Jesus as Lord. Every single one is part of the church. Whether they recognize it or not, they are. But the church, God has chosen that the church will work out in individual congregations. That's why across the United States, you don't have one congregation. We don't all travel to Colorado Springs for service. We're all scattered out. And so we gather in groups. And so we like to call these castles within the kingdom. That it's really about God's kingdom. It's not about the castle. And a lot of times we as churches, we can get about us. Oh, look how great we are. And so we want to build our castle. And really we build our own kingdom without looking at the whole kingdom. We're just a castle in the kingdom. I say that because if God moves you from here to somewhere else, you better get involved in another castle in the same kingdom. God has a purpose for you there, but we're called to be part of the church and we're called to be part of a congregation, a specific congregation. Y'all work together for his mission. And then he's going to transition. Look at verse seven. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Y'all have a, a job to do. Y'all have a mission. Y'all need to do it together in unity. But each one has a part to play. That's what he's doing. He transitions from y'all to you. So now you, each one, accord, but grace. Look, it was grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. He's going to start talking about spiritual gifts, but he's not really going to get into that. So those are some of the trees we're going to get into next week. But he's going to look at gifts that everyone has given a grace a grace is a gift, something to be used. And he's going to use an illustration. He's going to explain it this way. I'm going to read it, then I'll tell you what he's talking about. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens that he might fill all things. This is confusing, isn't it? It's weird. What did he do? He's using a picture of a Roman triumph. He's quoting the Old Testament, but he actually changes the Old Testament verse just a little bit to fit what he wants to use. And that's okay. He's allowed to do that. He's an apostle. Um, a picture of a Roman triumph. And here's what the, the tradition was. A Roman king, a Roman general, a ruler would win a great battle. And if they won this great battle, they would get to tromp into Rome in this triumphal procession, a parade where they would lead it. And all the soldiers would be part of the parade. There would be incense. There would be a group of those captives. So whoever they just conquered or beat, they would bring some of those captives. And then behind them would be the spoil you know, the chariots or whatever it is, full of the stuff that they got. And the tradition was they would have this, this parade and then the, the king would take the plunder and give gifts. They would give it to the soldiers. They would give it to the citizens. They would give gifts and they were free to give the gifts however they saw fit. So a soldier wouldn't come up and go, hey, can I have that and that? You know, I don't really want what you just gave me. The, the king would choose who got what. And so that is the picture that Paul is painting of what Jesus Christ did. He who ascended, we know that Jesus, after he died and rose again, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's the one that also descended, meaning before time began, Jesus was at the right hand of the Father. 
He was not created when he was born. He always existed. He took on flesh when he was born. So he descended. He went from the right hand of the father, became a baby, born in a manger. We know the story. And he grew up humbly, poor, to serve. He who descended, and then he won a great victory. We know Jesus is our king. He won a great victory. How? On the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, the perfect man, 100% God, 100% man, he died on the cross. He won the victory. Satan thought he was winning something. That was both the worst and the greatest day ever in the history of mankind. He went to the cross. He died. His shed blood earns forgiveness for us. Our sin had a penalty we could not pay. Only God could pay it, and he did through Jesus. That victory then, he led a host of captives. That's us. In Colossians 1.13, it says uh, he transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We were part of Satan's kingdom on earth. We were in darkness. Jesus saved us, pulled us out of that. If by faith we accept him as Lord, he now transfers us into his kingdom and then he gives gifts. So there's the picture. Jesus earned the right by winning the battle to give gifts as he chooses. That's the point. That's why Paul is, is using this example. So now he's going to give gifts to each one. Look with me at uh, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Paul does not give a real big list of gifts here. He says each one has a grace, that is a gift, but he doesn't go into each one. And very literally, what he's talking about here is gifted people as a gift to the church. These are gifts that he's talking about, but really specifically, if we want to see in context, he is talking about gifted individuals that are a gift to the church for a purpose. Um, I skipped over one of our main points. If you're a note taker, you're going to hound me later, so I'm going to give it to you. All believers are gifted for service. All believers are gifted for service. That's your first note there. So all are gifted, and then he narrows in on these. These four specifically. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Let's look at those first two. Apostles and prophets. The apostles were those who walked with Jesus. They had to have seen the risen Lord and they were the ones responsible really for the first missional work from Jerusalem and outward. You read the book of Acts. That's all about the apostles doing their work, the expansion of the kingdom. The apostles had a unique job of writing scripture. We see in, uh, in Ephesians 2.20. So if it's same as your, it's the next page over. Just look at Ephesians 2.20 and we get a view of apostles and prophets starting in verse 19. He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So the, the, the theme that we've seen, one body, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Okay, so I need, I need help. Will you help me? No? Will you help me? Yes, you will. I need your help. Lydia, I need your help. You too. Right back here, we have a bunch of blocks. I need the two of you to work together, take these blocks, and build us on top of here, build us a nice 
a nice wall. See how, how high you can get it? And you start at the bottom. What is, what is the bottom of a wall that you build? It's a foundation. So continue. Go, go, build. <laughs> so the foundation of the church is what? Apostles and prophets. The cornerstone is what? Jesus Christ. Once a building is going, do you change the foundation? No. You can add to it, I guess. I know some of us here right now are doing remodels and you're adding on. So you can add on and expand. But really, what we're talking about here, the foundation doesn't change. The apostles and the prophets. I used to think the prophets here were Old Testament prophets, the Old Testament scriptures. I was wrong. These are actually New Testament prophets that were there for the beginning of the church because as the church began, it didn't have the scriptures. But it had the apostles and God also gifted some others to be prophets. Prophets were able to say, I just got this message from God and he says this. By the way, others had gifts to go, no, you're wrong. Or yes, you're right. And so there was, they worked together. But the point of apostles and prophets was a foundation for the church. So what's the foundation? Right now, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. We have, we have those sects or those cults that will say we have apostles. In general, they're going to try and add to scripture or do something different. Those apostles. In the Bible, apostles, they never differed from each other. Remember Paul, he was chosen as an apostle a little bit late and he learned from Christ, but then he met with the other apostles and they compared notes and they were dead on. So anybody that comes, they say, I'm an apostle and I have a new message and it's different than the Bible. They're wrong. Don't listen to a word they say. They're a false prophet. By the way, in the Bible, the test of a prophet is 100% accuracy. So if you get one wrong, you're stoned. So um, I'm, just, I'm just saying, the biblical, yeah. Um, hey, oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so the foundation is the Bible. That's why we teach the Bible. That's why when we need to learn how to live, what to do, we go to the Bible. If we need doctrine, we go to the Bible. Apostles and prophets. Now, what are the next two? Pastors, teachers, evangelists. Evangelists. So here, we've got our foundation. We're going to call this whole first row apostles and prophets. Okay, here's apostles and prophets. And now we start building on top with pastors and teachers and evangelists. And evangelists, uh, if you've known these people, um, they're crazy and they're really annoying. Um, because they, they like, they cause problems because they're always thinking about the people that have not been saved yet. They're always thinking about the mission we're all called to, but they're uniquely gifted. They're the type that they, they get on an airplane and whoever sits next to them, they hear the whole gospel before they land. And, and for some reason, God sends people ready to hear the gospel to these people. I mean, God has a plan. It's all on purpose. These people can burp and convert somebody. <laughs> I wish I had this gift. I don't. Um, but they're important. Why would God give this gift in the leadership of the church to bring people in? Because as a mission, we're, we're finding the lost. Seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I go to seek and save the lost. We bring them in. Then what? The other piece in there, which is not a foundational piece, it is one of the building blocks and part of it is pastors and teachers. Biblically, that's two gifts. But here in this passage, it's combined into one person. It's a pastor teacher. Not every teacher is a pastor, but every pastor is a teacher because the main way to lead people to walk with God, to grow them is by teaching what the Bible says and what to do about it. What to do with, remember in Matthew 28, 
the mission is to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Did that last week. And teaching them, doing that right now, to observe all I have commanded you. Observe means obey. So we're not talking about just knowledge. We're, just not, we're not talking about just like, here's what the Bible says. We're talking about helping people learn, what does that mean? How do I apply that to my life? What does God want to do in and through me? That's a pastor teacher. What are they called to do? Look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. These gifts are given to equip, which means apostles and prophets found in the Bible to equip. Pastors, teachers, evangelists to equip. Equip literally means to mend a net or to repair a broken bone. That's what equip means. Equip does not mean you go do it. This is where the church has been driving backwards for so long is that we were all about the all-star and we take the all-star and we just clap as they do their thing. It's kind of like a football game where we go and, and we see, a, you know, Trevor Simeon, all-star, you know, throw into, um, you know, Emmanuel Sanders and, and they're, you know, and, and we stand and we cheer for them and we're, we're a whole crowd. Um, or who's your quarterback? Russell Wilson. Yeah, he's okay too. Um, but, but no, Russell Wilson. You know, Russell Wilson makes a great play and everybody in the stands stands up and cheers. Good job. That's what the church has, has largely become. A few people working really hard. What do they say? 11 people in desperate need of a rest and 15,000 in desperate need of a workout. Um, that's why church is so boring. That's why it's not growing in North America because most of us, and I, this is my, I have this problem. I've talked to some building up to this week. This is, I'm looking in the mirror as I preach this message because the message to Derek, Jesus is saying, stop doing so much and help others do what God has called them to do because we have a tendency just to get it done. And doers are the worst at this because they do and they'll do something else and they'll do something else and they'll hog all the fun because how fun is it to use your gifting for God's glory? It is so much fun. It is so much fun. But instead, we, we hog all the fun by doing all the work. And so we are to equip. That word was used often for a mending net. Now, how did Jesus use net analogies? Fishing, right? What's the primary mission of the church? To go make disciples. Dropping the net down and getting a catch of lost people coming to Christ. So, you girls can have a seat. You did awesome. <laughs> Let's give them a hand. Good job. Good job, girls. Did you use all the blocks? No, there's two left. There's two left. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, leaders are to equip others to do the work of service. A leader is not the net, although they're a piece of the net. They're helping others do what God has called them to do within the church. Equippers. Do you know the average church size in North America? 80 people. That's the average church size. Most churches will hit that and never go beyond it. Do you know why? And all the studies show this is true. Because that's about how many people one person can serve if they work themselves to the bone. One person can do all the work and serve those 80 people. And all those 80 are watching that one do all that work. Not just one, but the, you know, a handful. But that's the problem. That's the problem. And so here's, you have a responsibility. We're going to get into that. And I have a responsibility. And other church leaders have a responsibility. We're all, all called to do our part. But so there's pastor, teacher. Um, there's evangelist sent to equip. Um, by the way, I want you to do 
something when you have time, read through the scripture and find for me an all-star that didn't start out as a normal dude or dudette. The Bible is full of God doing great things through normal people, people like you and me. Normal people, God does great things as they make themselves available to him. So I'm trying to get us out of the all-star mentality. So this is in your notes. The church leaders are given by Jesus to train and coach others to serve. They're trainers, they're coaches. So you come up to me with a great idea for a ministry and I go, that's awesome. How can I help you do that? Can I maybe hook you up with somebody else who knows more that can help you better than I can to get that done? Uh, my my father-in-law is a, a Navy pilot, was a Navy pilot, like a hundred years ago, when airplanes were first invented. Um, but but we talked about we talked about aircraft carriers, and this was really cool to me. Um, we have a picture actually of an aircraft carrier flight deck, and on the deck you have all these different shirts, all these different colored shirts. And each one has a different role to play designated by the, the, the shirts they wear. Um, you've got the, uh, the red ones, they handle the weapons. Now, was Rhiannon a red shirt? Yes, good job, husband. So Rhiannon, she's not here right now, but she also was on a carrier. She was a red shirt. She was responsible for hefting weapons up and hooking them on the bottom of, of jets. Um, you have the purple one that they're called grapes, I was told. They're all about the fuel, right? Purple is all about the fuel. So you have all these doing all these different roles. Some are, are, are leading and guiding and showing the jets where to go. Some are making sure they take off. Some are making sure they, all this is going on. But up in the tower, you have those who are kind of supervising the whole thing. They're, they're, they're making sure all the pieces are running the way they're supposed to. If all those walked out of the tower and said, I'll put the fuel in, what's going to happen? It's going to fall apart. So we are all, we all have a colored shirt on. Your job is to figure out what color shirt you're wearing. But we're supposed to be going together and there's an order. There's a blueprint is what I would say. Jesus had a blueprint for his church. And if we choose to follow it, he will do great things through us collectively and through you individually. It's going to be amazing. Um, I asked Rhiannon as we were talking about the flight deck, we were talking about the aircraft carrier. I said, what if 25% showed up and did their job? And she, it took her a minute to register what I was asking. And she looked at me like I was stupid. She said, it wouldn't work. Like, like are you kidding me? It, that's impossible. But yet the average church, 25% of the members show up each Sunday, 25%, 20 of those do all the work. Now I want to be careful. It's not all about Sunday. Really, most of the mission is done outside of Sunday. This is where we get to worship God. We get to, to meet with him. Ideally, we're meeting with God in a life-changing way here. But most of the ministry happens out there. Our ambition is to see that ministry taken care of out there through us individuals, but also through our groups. That's why we, we emphasize groups so much. Because in groups, we get to have all the different colored shirts in a group doing something for Christ, but also building into one another. So that's, that's the vision. That's the picture. But we can't do it if 25% show up and do their job. Which means I'm responsible for calling those of us out who need to get involved and other leaders are. And you're responsible for finding your place and getting involved and, and doing what God has called you to be. This is in your notes, but a problem is that churches become an event we attend rather than a mission we join. Church has become an event we attend rather than a mission we join. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says it this way. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. That's the New Living Translation. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. 
So you've been given a gift, not for you, but for one another, for the whole body. So if you're not doing what God has called you to do, we miss out. That's the point. Now, what happens, what happens if we actually follow Jesus's blueprint for the church and we do it how he's called us to do it? We, we find leaders, we, we find those who are gifted evangelists, pastor teachers, and they equip and train others and they start doing. By the way, you notice evangelist is an equipping gift. Often evangelists are the ones that go rogue and they go by themselves and they go do all this work. We need evangelists, those who are gifted to help teach us how to do it. We need evangelists to grab us by the hand and say, come with me while I do it. And we learn because we're all called to share our faith. Jesus said, you must witness. All of us are called to share our faith. Some are uniquely gifted. I've heard people say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I don't have to share my faith. That's not what the Bible teaches. The gifted evangelist should be helping train all of us dummies how to do it better. Me, I'm the dummy. You're not the dummy. That's what evangelists are for. Play each part doing its work. What if we do this? Look at verse 13. If we do it, if we follow his blueprint, says this, until we all, okay, so it goes from single, now, now this is y'all again, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into every way into him who is the head, into Christ. What's it gonna look like if we do this? What he describes here is we could call that maturity. Maturity, no longer children, but grown up. Maturity, here's the things we'll see. Number one, a mature whole made up of maturing individuals looking like Jesus. Because the goal is to become like Christ individually and collectively. And so we will see a mature whole full of individuals maturing, meaning you're pursuing Christ on your own. You're abiding in him and he's living through you and then you get to add to the whole. If you're not gonna, listen to this, if you're not gonna pursue Christ outside of here, you're not gonna be much useful to us in here or when we gather. This is a day by day pursuing Christ in his word and prayer, abiding Walking in the spirit. Those are the things the Bible calls it. But we'll see a mature whole made up of mature individuals. That sounds like fun. The second one, a doctrinally sound church that believes correctly and stands strong. You see that very clear in these verses. Not tossed to and fro, but a unity of the faith. Unity of the faith means a unity of correct belief. What does the Bible say about it? a unity. Now, one of the things here at Common Ground we are really committed to is standing on the fundamentals, standing on the primary teachings of scripture, but holding the secondary things of scripture with an open hand. So you and I can disagree on when Jesus is coming back. As long as we agree, he is coming back. We can disagree. Is it before the tribulation or after? Where's the millennium fit? We can disagree on that. As long as we believe Jesus is coming back and when he does, he's setting up and it's going to be all good. We can disagree on some of those secondary issues. The problem so often is in the church, we take a secondary issue and we stand on it and go, this is it. And then we just create this division. And so we're, it's very important for us that we're doctrinally sound. We stand on what's firm and that you can back it up uh, and you're strong. So when somebody comes to you with, with a, a doctrinal question or an argument against Jesus, you, as you mature, can answer that boldly, confidently. 
Because you're part of a church that's teaching you to do that. You're part of a group that you can go to in the week and go, hey, somebody brought this up. I don't know how to answer. You work together and you do that. That's, that's what we're talking about. Doctrinally sound. And then the third one is effective in its mission. Verse 15, that we, rather than falling for deceitful schemes, we are speaking the truth in love. We are growing up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. We are effective in mission because what we're doing is we're abiding in him. We're becoming more and more like Jesus and he's working through. We're effective in our mission. People will be saved. People will grow up. Marriages will get better, will improve. This is what we're talking about. This is what a healthy church will be. And point this, we have to point this out. What does it say at the end of that verse, verse 15? Who's the head? Jesus is the head. Church leaders are not the head. Apostles and prophets were not the head. Evangelists, pastor, teachers are not the head. Jesus is the head. And so the group, all of us together, we're pursuing Jesus as the head, each playing our part. Equippers, training, and helping others to do what God has called them to do. But Jesus is the head. So at any point, if we go away from scripture, or what, away from what Jesus would call us to do, we together are all responsible for calling us back to go his way. Jesus is the head. And now verse 16. How do we do it? From whom, Christ is the head, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The NIV there says each part does its work. Each part. A church will be at its best when every individual is fulfilling the role Jesus has set for them. When each part, do you know that when you by faith accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, when you said, I'm in darkness and I want light, and you submitted to him and you believed, you were given a gift. You were given the Holy Spirit and you have a part. So look at this, look at this wall that they built. What if we remove one? Okay, so let's say so-and-so decides they don't want to play their part and we take them out from right here. Others aren't able to do what they're supposed to do. As, you, as you're not doing what you're supposed to do, not only are you not experiencing the joy of that, others don't get to do what they are called to do. We're part of the whole. So you, you are one of these blocks. And if you choose to go rogue and be over here, there's a blank spot. And it's bigger than just you. That's why we say every gift is given for the whole. So if you're not doing what God has called you to do, we miss out. The whole misses out and we won't be as good as we could be. Not as good as we could be. We, uh, we have an above ground pool. Um, one of those round ones. Uh, a redneck's dream. Maybe you've seen some of those. Um, and ours, one of our favorite things is we get in the pool and we, we do a whirlpool. Maybe you've done that. And everybody starts running in the same direction and, and pushing the water. And you get it going. And it, that's so much fun. If you get it going fast, anything floating in there is just going around. Um, and you can then lift your feet up and float inevitably, here's what happens. We get in there as a family and we're doing it. We look over and one of the girls is just floating. <laughs> They're not doing their job. They're just floating. They're just along for the ride. And we're like, Lydia, put your feet down and help. She's like, oh, but this is fun. <laughs> and then another one will grab the ladder. And so we're doing all this work going around and Elise grabs the ladder and just like flaps in the wind. Okay, because it's still spinning. So she's holding on like this and, her, and, and that's fun though, but, but she's holding on. So not only is she just riding, she's now slowing down the whole whirlpool. She's making it harder for Callie and I to do all the work. 
I think we have kind of the same thing in the church. We have a tendency that a few people are really going and pushing and they're trying to do all they can. And these people often get worn out. They're going, and then others, they just want to float. That's the cruise ship mentality that I'm here to get. What does this church have to offer me? And so they come and then they just lift their feet and they're like, this is sweet. It's kind of a, a country club mentality, which is not what the church was called to be. We're called to be more like a battleship on mission. And then every now and then you'll get that person that grabs on. And so then they impede the mission. They, they get in and they create division. They create disunity. You know, they, they demand their way. They demand to use their gift, whatever it is they demand. And they, they really get in the way. And by the way, here at Common Ground, we've committed, we're going to deal with that. Um, if you are an all-in minister, you've signed an all-in covenant. The last one in it is not about me. And we say in that, not about me, meaning if you start creating division and those things, we're going to knock on your door and we're going to work on it. And we're going we're gonna to figure it out, ideally with the point of everybody doing their part healthy, because that's what he's talking about. How does he finish that one? Everybody's doing their part in love. Makes the body grow up so it builds itself up in love. We need to do all this in love. We need grace. Because guess what? We're going to mess up. <laughs> we're going to figure out our part and we're going to get there and then we're going to mess up at it. And so we need to show each other grace. We need to show each other love. I mean, even last week we had a great service, but I messed up. You guys probably didn't notice because Paul's so good. Um, but I messed up something in the order there. I made a mistake. Um, and Paul covered it and nobody and everything was good. But you know what? I wasn't judged afterward. I wasn't like, man, you really messed up. You need to get your act together. It was like, you know what? God worked it out. Um, do better next time. But, but we need, he didn't say that. <laughs> um, but we need grace as we find our part, as we get engaged, and we need grace for one another. Uh, it, kind of the dance of the porcupine. You ever heard of the dance of the porcupine? Um, when winter comes, like right now, and it gets really cold, what do we do? You know, if you get into a cold bed, husband, wife, what do you typically do? You snuggle up close to get warm, right? Um, animals do the same thing. And so porcupines, gets cold in the winter. They, they get down in the hole. Oh, it's really cold. And they start snuggling close. But what happens with the porcupine? They got those quills. And so every now and then there's a, poop, oh, you know, you get poked and you scoot away. Oh, but now I'm really cold over here. So they get back together. So this, this dance of the porcupine, poke, come away, come back to get. That's what's going to happen in the church. As we are ambitious about his mission and all of us showing up, guess what? You're going to get poked by one of the other porcupines in the room. It's going to happen. Or you're going to poke somebody because we're not perfect yet. Until Christ returns or we're with him, we're not perfect yet. And so we need this grace. We need this love to go together to complete his mission, doing our part. Do we know the main point for this passage? The main point, all of us going together in unity to carry out his mission, each of us playing our part. This week we looked at leaders. The part is to equip, not to do all the work. So stop hogging all the fun. Everybody else, what's your role? You're responsible to figure it out. By the way, your leaders are responsible to help you figure it out. So go in a group and go to your leader and go, what am I gifted at? Help me out. And we'll work together to figure it. But then we all get involved doing what he would call us to do. Now, we're going to get into this more next week. But here's your homework. <laughs> here's your homework. On your seat, when you walked in, you're probably like, why are all these puzzle pieces everywhere? You are a piece of the puzzle. If I would have had time, I would have made a puzzle piece and taken some out. You're a piece of the puzzle. Oops, those are brittle. Don't break them. Actually, you can. We're not, we're not putting it together. Take this puzzle piece, put it in your pocket. Take a couple of them, whatever it is, put them in your pocket. By the way, if there's not one on your seat, they're over there, they're over there, they're everywhere. I threw them everywhere. So have fun, cleanup crew. Um, <laughs> 
But the point is you are a vital piece of the puzzle. And if you're not playing your part, we miss out. But it takes some time to figure out what our part is, doesn't it? And so there's grace in that. So this week, two things. One, you can take a spiritual gifts test. It's at spiritualgiftstest.com. You'll find it on our website. You can see it on the app there. Go to that. Take the test. That's one part. Um, Another test you can take that I think is really good, and and Callie and I just took it, and we're going to have all our small group leaders take it, is uh, a strength finders test. You do that, and it'll show you your top five strengths. It costs 20 bucks, but it's worth it. And it'll show you what you're good at. What are you skilled at? But then better than that, asking those around you. What am I good at? Better than that is you go to somebody else and point out what you've seen them good at. Most of the time, others will recognize our gifting before we do. But in order to do that, it means you have to be in community. So it means we have to get involved and try some things and then together go, you're good at that. You're horrible at that. And have the grace to do that in love, speaking the truth in love. But helping each other find our place. That's how we go as a body and we'll be more effective in his mission. Let me pray. And we're gonna sing two more songs. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much that you are the head. I thank you so much that none of us are the head. And I thank you for the grace there is in your spirit for one another because we're not perfect. We're gonna make mistakes. We're gonna do this dance of the porcupine. But Holy Spirit, I I ask. (laughs) Thank you for these children. Yeah, porcupine, Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Holy Spirit, please lead us. Uh, Fill us with your joy. Fill us with your peace. Fill us with your love because we're already right with you if by faith we've accepted you as Lord. We're already right with you and we can rest in that. And now out of the overflow of you in us, we get to be involved in your community and your mission. And there's nothing better really than being involved in purpose, your purpose for us. And so I pray that you would give us opportunities this week to recognize our gifting. And I I pray that you would open up our eyes to look at one another, that we can encourage one another. You're good at this. I've seen this in your life and it's made a big impact. Holy Spirit, do your work. Grow us up so we will be mature, so we will look like Jesus, and we would be effective for you. We love you so much. Amen.